Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to The Last Edit Podcast, a podcast on film starring yours truly, Silver Hawkins, and the great... <laughs> Hi, I'm Slave. Uh, today, we will be talking about uh, a modern western called The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. It's uh, directed, it's an Andrew Dominic film. Uh, he's one of the better modern directors, I think. Uh, I haven't gotten to see Killing Me Softly, which was nominated for a Golden Palm at Cannes. Uh, Killing Them Softly, I think it is. Wasn't that what I said? No, you said Killing Me Softly. I think that's another oh, film with no, no, Heather yeah, yeah, Graham. But it is Killing Them Softly, yeah. Sorry if I misspoke. Um, no, no, no. But no, I never got just, to see It's that just one. a very bad film, the other one, that's all. <laughs> also starring uh, Brad Pitt. And he directed a... He's very good friends with uh, Nick Cave, who scored this film as well. Mm. And together they made a, a documentary about uh, the death of Nick Cave's son, which is also very critically placed. I haven't seen either that or uh, Killing Them Softly, but I hear they're very, very good. Well, he also um, directed Chopper. He which did, is the yeah. Australian film with Eric Banner, I think. That was very good. And then, and I didn't know this until I, after I'd watched the film today oh. and then checked online, he directed the Netflix series The Mindhunters, which is the origins of um, behavioral science and the FBI, which fits in with this notion of his, uh, his films often being very focused on psychopaths, you know, yeah, as that, is Jesse Jones. That series I have seen. I, I didn't know he had directed that either. No, I didn't either. Whether he was just a showrunner and directed a few or not, but it's, that's quite interesting from what he's directed in prior uh, films. Yeah, and that was a good series, I thought, as well. Yeah, very. Um, yeah. Directed well as well. Hmm. But, um, I mean, the first thing that we have to discuss with, with the assassination of Jesse James is really Roger Deakins and yeah. the cinematography. Uh, I mean, it's, it's remarkable that it took until this year for Deakins to get an Oscar. Despite Absolutely. he's been nominated, what, like 15 or 16 times, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, his collaborations with the Coen brothers, The Man Who Wasn't There, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's just amazing work. Uh, and and this is some of his most stellar work in general. Like, just the the whole ethereal lighting, sort of, it looks like mm. paintings, a lot of the shots. You just can see this yeah. sort of ethereal atmosphere where you see the small particles of dust in the air. Uh, it's very, it's very dreamlike the whole thing, mm. especially like during the narration sequences where the, the the images are kind of blurry, a bit like memory, where they're kind of blurry and just indistinct. Um, it's just really, really well done. Well, Roger Deakins for me is up there with Dean Cundey as one of my favorite cinematographers, and yeah, you're right. Hall. Yeah, exactly. He should have won an Oscar a very long time ago and finally got it for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but. He creates this um, almost dreamlike fever, and especially in those narrated sections, as you said. And I have to say, before we, we just talk about the, the cinematography, those narrated sections might be some of the best narrated sections in any film ever made, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. They're up there uh, with, with Emily. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's Hugo Ross, I think, who does the narration, and his tone really fits in with the languious, kind of almost ponderous nature of the film. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's a weird dichotomy, that, as well, because I think a lot of people were... Oh, by the way, spoilers, it says it in the title of the film. Yeah. So hopefully I, there won't the, be that much we will spoil, end, but we are going to get deep spoiled, into it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But this dichotomy in the film, I think, 
I think a lot of people have seen the title to this because it didn't didn't do well at the box office. I think it half made half of what it, it cost to, to actually. Um, yeah, and produce. it's not it's not all that well known. It is fairly no, obscure. It's not. It is quite obscure, considering the cast as well. Yeah, and, and just the quality of the film. Exactly. I think a lot of people might have seen the title and looked at the runtime and thought, "Is this just a pretentious film?" Yeah, I, I think I think that's a fair thing to say, and. I I only found it ponderous on occasions. The the pace gives the actors time to breathe and time to provide nuance, and it's like it's like older westerns that took their time and built so very very slowly. Now it hasn't got the big action sequences of something uh, we might see from a, a spaghetti western. Apart from that train robbery and a few other elements, it's all about the obsession of Casey Affleck's uh, Robert Ford celebrity. His, yeah. A celebrity obsession with Jesse James, and and none more telling so than in the scene where Jesse forces him at the dinner table to tell him why he is like Jesse. Yeah, you know, I've got the same color eyes. And basically, got, humiliates him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm the same height. My my name comes from you know, it's the same as your middle brother's name. Yeah, I just I, hold on. I've just moved on to cinematography all the way through <laughs> to the plot already, but that particular dichotomy. Along with the the nature of the the, it reminds me of a Terence Malick film a little bit. Oh, very much so. Yeah, something like Badlands. Very, very. I don't want to say the word ponderous because I think a lot of people it, will. It dwells on his visual imagery. It does, and and like many great westerns, after a scene um, has ended, sometimes when the characters have moved out of shot, Dominique will just hang the frame there for a moment. Yeah, and that's very very typical western, but it's very as you said, painting like which I think is so beautiful and aesthetic to watch. Yeah, it is. It's funny you mentioned the title because the studio wasn't crazy about it, predictably. Mm. Um, but Brad Pitt actually ingrained it in his contract that the film had to retain its title of <laughs> That's The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford in full. Um, but yeah, the studio wasn't crazy about it because, no, it's not a very marketable title. <laughs> mm, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it is... It is kind of ponderous, but I love. I just I adore that slow pace where it takes its time to build mm. its characters to sort of. There's so much that goes left unsaid, just in the psychology of the characters. Um, like Jesse James, like Brad Pitt's portrayal of Jesse James is one of the most frightening uh, villains to me in film because he's he switches so quickly between different moods. Like he's so gregarious. He, he goes from so. from being like affable, charming to just complete psychopath, and then yeah, yeah, and and there there are, there isn't a whole lot of lot violence in the film, but when there is, it sort of explodes, and it's very like it's very um, jarring when it comes. Like uh, there's mm. a moment where he shoots a fellow gang member in the back, just like Robert Ford shoots him. Ed, the, Ed Miller, yeah, when he yeah. takes him out to the um, to the woods, yeah, yeah, when they go go out for. A, ride like you go out for a, a drive, ride yeah right? yeah and and yeah it's um or when he ne nearly beats a kid half to death um be mm. and he keeps asking him for an answer but he keeps his hand over his mouth so he can't even give him an answer and he still keeps beating on him and then we only we see the only t one of the only times i think maybe the only time in the in the film apart from when he's like hugging his family um, here and there when he cries after that moment on his horse yeah, um, as if to actually show the su some humanity behind this very, very disturbed, psychotic individual who, as you said, has these flashpoints throughout the film, yeah. which are so jarring to the established pace 
because everything up until that point is conversational based it's vistas it's the thought process um inherent in the characters through the cinematography yeah but then we get these flashpoints of violence and as you said that that moment when he kids ed miller in the in the woods there's no remorse no he looks at him for a second and rides off and that's it yeah so i think this is probably and i don't think i haven't certainly haven't seen this as much as you i think this is the second time i've ever seen it i think pitt's performance in this is as good as Tyler Durden in Fight Club. I think it's better. I think it's his best performance just in a movie I've ever seen. Um, it's his most nuanced. Certainly, Absolutely yeah. Absolutely his most nuanced. And the stares and the looks he gives us. The moment when... we A bit about the cast, I guess. So Jesse James is obviously Brad Pitt. Robert Ford is Casey Affleck. But then you've got Sam Rockwell as, as Charlie, Charlie Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Jeremy, uh, Renner Jeremy Renner as Wood, as Wood Height. Height. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're Jesse's gang, basically. But they're not... And, and actually his brother, Frank, who's played by Sam Shepard for, sh for a short period in the film. Um, these characters aren't the original gang from when Jesse was the Hooting Tooting outlaw that established the legend. This is after that fact. And Jesse yeah. is basically preparing for death. Yeah. And this is his last gang. They've just pulled off his heist. He's constantly hiding and moving around so he doesn't get caught by the law. And these characters and relationships very, very slowly build. There's a lot of jealousy amongst the, the people within the gang. And, and Robert basically wants to be Jesse and everything yeah. else aside from that. But there's these amazing moments like when Jesse, uh, he's, he's heard about Wood Heights' death. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he goes and sits in front of Sam Rockwell's character, Charlie, Yeah. while he's lying in bed. And he tells him this story about how he killed Ed. Yeah. Almost, and in third person almost. And then he just sits there and says, now it's your turn to tell me something truthful. And yeah. just the way that that scene works, Sam Rockwell's amazing in it. And then, and then Jesse moves to the, the rocking chair and just sits there. It's like he can see through everything. Yeah, so he can see through their lies. He can see through what people are thinking, and that's what makes makes him such a dangerous character. I there's think. there's a scene later on that really underscores that when um, when they're sitting and they're talking about their uh, Charlie Ford, Robert Ford, and Jesse James. They're sitting in Jesse James's parlor, and they're talking about the bank robbery that they're planning. They're going to ride off the next day and commit a bank robbery, mm. and uh, Jesse James then calls Robert Ford over. And sort of starts tossing his hair like he's a little kid and so forth. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he pulls him back and takes a knife to his throat. And starts talking like he's talking to the bachelor. But it's pretty, pretty clear he's talking about... He's actually talking to Robert Ford because he's saying like... Mm -hmm. uh, how come you, you've lived to 20 years when so many of my fellows haven't and so forth. And, um, and then he breaks off afterwards and he starts laughing. And they start laughing as well. Uh, Charlie and Robert very very nervously they just join in Jesse's laughter because he's just mm. nearly killed Robert but now he's laughing like it was all for fun and then Manically all of a sudden as well. yeah and all of a sudden Jesse just stops, stops laughing and just watches those the two of them laugh in their sycophancy like because they're just la they're laughing with him not like they're just followers and they're just giving him whatever they think they want him they want him to hear or whatever they think he wants to hear um, and he just stops and he just stares at him like this really, really <laughs> frightening gaze he gives them. And then he just walks off. 
Well, he even talks about it as a character later on <coughs> when they're doing one of the narrative-based scenes, the narration. And he talks uh, at Jesse as if he's this... This this man who's he's not broken, but he knows it's coming to the end. And the older he gets, the more his demented and twisted mind be, becomes more violent and wants to, to to have these flashpoints. It's not like it was before when it was, I guess, the more adventurous West. And that you can tell straight away by by the the audible cues and the melancholic music that we hear. Everything is very very somber. Everything is very somber. There's that one yeah. track which kicks in now and again that has almost has the bells in it. Yeah, and, the, uh, the the song for Jesse. Yeah, the, is that what it's called? The motif for Jesse. Yeah, and that plays gently but very kind of uneasily in a lot of the scenes, yeah. and that's why it's not your your typical West. It's obviously a, revi- a revisionist Western, but on top of that, these other elements combine to give you this very uneasy, very. Um, on edge atmosphere whenever Jesse is around because you know that this guy could see through anything that you think you might believe that that he doesn't believe any lies that you know so yeah we'll talk about Wood Height then so Wood Height is Jesse's cousin and yeah. he's played by Jeremy Renner and I think he, he plays that character quite well he's he's got this uncle it's his uncle, isn't it? It's not his dad. No, it's his father. It's, it's his father. This very old guy who can barely hear, has, a, has an ear trumpet, and he's got this very, very young wife. And Wood Height catches one of the other gang members. Not catches, sorry, knows of. Yeah, Dick uh, Little. Dick Little, who ends up sleeping with this wife. And it all ends in Dick Little and, uh, <laughs> and him, Wood, having a... A shoot off, a very very poor one. They're so close, and they now, keep. Quite that's missing. actually I, that 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 plays out almost exactly like a proper shootout would, because you're nervous, Even you're frightened, you're yeah. not, you don't really aim, you just kind of shoot. Yeah, and you keep missing each other, uh, even though you're actually fairly close. Um, it's just sort of adrenaline, frantic, sort of this frenzied uh, struggle. Uh, yeah, kind of a flash of red, and you don't quite know to control your emotions if you've never done it before. Yeah. So yeah, so they're downstairs. So Wood comes upstairs, f- um, enters the room with well, crashes into the room with the Ford boys in there. Robert just sits there, still doesn't do anything, just holds the gun. Uh, Dick is shot in the leg, and <laughs> Wood is shot in the arm. Yeah. And then very, very slowly, Wood just stands up. Because Dick, his gun. Dick, Dick runs out of bullets. He's out of bullets. Runs out of bullets, clicks it a few times, and then. Yeah. The, the coward uh, Robert Ford just shoots him in the head. And that's where most of the plot kind of pushing forward comes from because now Jesse hurt, hears about that and we, we talked about the dinner scene and throughout the film there's this great unease between the two because although Robert Ford idolises Jesse, adores Jesse, has a box in his room which he's laughed at over of stories and memorabilia about Jesse, he also knows that if Jesse finds out the truth, he's dead in a yeah. heartbeat. And so the, the brothers are constantly worried about that all the time. And the way the film plays on that in scenes via cinematography, the dialogue or lack of dialogue, the, the sheer presence of this very, very physical... Um, uh, Brad Pitt, I think, is is so wonderfully played. Yeah, and I mean that's there. There, I mean, it's it's even more complicated than that as well because there are so many layers to the relationship between Robert and Jesse. Like, well, he almost believes it's his, his son and father to kind of to some extent. 
I mean, there's or a younger brother at least. For 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 Robert, I think the most hurtful thing was the fact that Jesse humiliates him repeatedly, mm. just like everyone else does. He's the butt of the joke. He's always been the butt of the joke his entire life, and and to have Jesse, his hero, do it as well, I think, really, really hurts him very, very, very deeply. Um, like there's the dinner scene that we've talked about, and there. There are other scenes as well, uh, and there's that scene where um, Brad Pitt is bathing, and he's looking back over his shoulder and asking, "I yeah. can't figure it out. Do you want to be like me, or do you want to be me?" Be me, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's really, really well done and really well de- well developed. I mean, the closest the western that I can compare this to is the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is about a similar sort of sense of building mythology where. The truth sort of starts expanding and becomes something outside of reality, but becomes the reality that we believe in. And that's a great western if if you haven't seen it, by the way. Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. That's, yeah. Uh, John Wayne and Jimmy western. Stewart. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, he's he's sublime in that film. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's there's one thing I do want to talk about that I didn't like. We'll get to the ending and kind of how it all comes together and, and how Robert. We'll get to that. There's one thing I didn't like. Just one. And that's the use of the fisheye lens too much because I think it's too pronounced in certain scenes. I think it might detract right. from. I understand why it's there, you know, the, the, a physical metaphor for. And it distorts for, the image. Yeah. It distorts the image, distorts the time, etc. But it's so beautiful at times that I just think there are there's some, especially earlier in the film. I think it's more prominent earlier in the film, and that fisheye lens smudges the outside of that screen so much. I just don't think it works always. So that's that's one of my only real visual gripes, I think, in the in the in the whole film. I mean, that's fair enough. For, for me, that was part just part of the whole like obscuring sort of the dreamlike narration sequences and so forth, and to where they are this sort of indistinct sort of almost you're trying to recall it, but you can't quite. Yeah. Um, that that was part of that presentation, and it it worked for me. Um, but I can certainly understand why. It, the fisheye certainly is not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I'm, I'm... you touched on the music uh, a yeah. bit, and uh, for me, this is one of the best scores I've heard in a film. Like, it's just it's yeah. so it's so dreamlike and constantly ethereal. Like, the, it's just mainly like the song for Jesse, which is the main theme that goes <coughs> goes on throughout. It's mainly um, piano and xylophone, and it's just really, really this. It's really stunning, and it's and the ending theme as well, which is the song for Robert with mm. with the cello. Nick Cave, yeah, yeah, it's Nick Cave's uh, score. It's also just really, 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 really moving. Uh, I find. Well, I think it audibly supports what the film is really about: was the existential consideration of what death and idolization and, and these things yeah. are, yeah. celebrity, etc. You know, this film is not your, as we've said, your typical Western. It it very well fits into modern context when you look at the relationship that and the obsession and the adoration that Robert has for Jesse and how that takes a manifestation in a guy that becomes so jealous, uh, partly because he's being beaten down um, verbally by his family and also Jesse, this guy he idolises, but also this this festering obsession that he doesn't want to be a nobody anymore. He wants to be a somebody. And in the end, the way to achieve that, he thinks is to assassinate Jesse James. So let's talk about how the film kind of, not necessarily fully comes to an end, but just the end of Jesse to begin with. So 
a sheriff comes to town and uh, the governors and they want Jesse gone. And at this point, the Ford brothers are they're, they're still with Jesse and they're still trying to stay with him. But they or Robert in particular has decided that he'll support these guys and he will get him to you know, Jesse's gang when he can. And he'll assassinate Jesse at the appropriate opportunity. Yeah, oh, and sh- this is basically they, I don't think they really come into town so much as they're, they're there. But after Wood Heights murder, as you mentioned, Ford makes the, the decision that, you know, we can't. Yeah. Jesse's going to figure us out. He's going to come for us. He's going to kill us like he killed Ed Miller. Uh, so we're going to have to just make our case to the, the authorities and take out Jesse. That's the only choice before he takes us out. That's the only choice we really have. Quick shout out to Ted Levine, who I spotted as the sheriff. And now he, of course, is Buffalo Bill in Ted Demi's Silence of the Lambs. Just love that actor. Little shout out for him. I thought he had a, a an interesting little role, kind of the hard man cop. Yeah, so... So then we we have them get together as a threesome again, and we have a lot of awkward moments between the three. You can tell between even mentioned it at one point in one scene. Jesse says, "Your brother's really easy being to go to, to easy going to be around. You're not." Yeah, and, and and that's you know that's the, the festering nature of the relationship. But in the end, Jesse is stood in in a room. He's looking out of a window at his daughter playing. And he just I think we should mention like, that even bef- that before then, he actually see, see, picks up a newspaper, and he sees that another member of the gang, Dick Little, that we mentioned earlier, that Robert Ford had actually given up and has had been arrested as well, and then been included in the um, in the deal against Jesse, uh, mm-hmm. cons- or conspiracy against Jesse. Uh, that he sees that his story is now in the newspaper that he was um, arrested and that he confessed, and that. That basically is the tell-all for Jesse. He knows. He knows that Char- Charlie and Robert are there betraying him as well. Because they would have known they with Dick Little. Because Dick Little was staying with them. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, he knows. And he still goes through with that ending sequence. It's it's really interesting to me. So, so he looks out to the window, sees his daughter playing. He lays his guns across the, um, the sofa, the couch, and says... Uh, I don't. If people see me through the window, I'd better put these down. Turns around, he says, "Oh, that that painting is dusty." Walks over to it, looks at this this painting. I think it's a horse, isn't it? Beautiful horse. Yeah. And he just accepts death at that point. Yeah. He just he he knows he's going to be killed, and he accepts it. And shot from behind. Hence, hence the title and and what the man was probably and is is the coward Robert Ford. And then the film changes quite a lot. So. We go from this very melancholy Western this, about this, this psychopath and the, the relationship he, he has with this young boy who is obsessed with him to Robert Ford becoming a celebrity. The aftermath, yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> and for, for the wrong reasons. And he goes through this very weird period. Now, I, as, like I said, I've only seen this once before, and I didn't expect this whole portion where he's on stage with his brother, Charlie, yeah. who pretends to be Jesse... And he is Robert Ford, and they perform they the scene we've just yeah. described um, over and over and again on the stage, and that threw me a bit because I didn't remember it at all. Right? Like, wow. I mean, a real comment on the the the, the reinterpretation of celebrity and celebrity yeah. deaths and, and idolizing someone and all these things. Because over the course of all these performances, 
they say they do it like 800 times, I think, at one point, the narrator says. And they have, no, 1,500, I think it was. 1,500, well, really? Yeah. yeah. So, and they do it over and over again. Robert always does the same thing. But Charlie, his mental state is deteriorating. He's, he's, he's smoking more and more drugs, chasing the, the dragon, I assume. He's um, listening to gypsies and, and fortune tellers, and his mind is changing. And by the end of it, he sounds, acts, and looks at his brother like Jesse did in that scene. I think that that's just a, a wonderful way to show the arc of that character in particular. Yeah. How t- tired he's become of everything. Yeah, and he ends up shooting himself. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, in that Quite scene so, where it yeah, kind of yeah. just stops on the boot. And where, where they say that he ended up being the assassin the people would have wanted because he showed contrition. He showed remorse. Mm. And exactly. he killed himself, whereas Robert went on living, which is what people couldn't stand because he killed the hero. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the spiraling uh, mentally of of uh, the coward Robert Ford. You know, he's he's done the deed. He's become a celebrity. He's become a celebrity for the wrong reason. There's there's that one moment in the prior to Charlie committing suicide when he attacks someone who repeatedly shouts, "You coward!" I think it is from the yeah. audience, and that. That's one of the moments we see him just lose it and, and when, he's arrested. And when he's in the bar and there's the song singing, the singer, the the uh, troubadour or whatever, the folk singer, singing the battle, ballad of Jesse James where James is built up as this hero and he had three children, not two and so <laughs> forth. Yeah. And, and the legend has sort of grown. Um, yeah, and uh, just, um, just Robert Ford just stumbles around like a drunk objecting to it. Um, yeah. Oh, and I guess we should mention just prior to that, by now Jesse J's body has been displayed in you know places all across the world, along with the modern wonders, uh, the ancient wonders of the world, and is this even in death is this massively iconic thing that people want to yeah. see and understand and be around, and that is what Robert Howard, uh, Robert Ford wanted to be, and he's not because in the end, this great legacy is left by Jesse. Everybody knows him. He's legendary. He's a yeah. myth. Robert Ford, as as is said by the narrator, is killed in a bar by a guy with a grudge and a shotgun and dies with nobody really knowing who he was apart from being a coward. He doesn't leave any children. It's really boiled down in the scene where with his girlfriend, which is sort of the one scene in the whole film where he's just completely honest with himself sat on the and hill with, and yeah. with the audience where he says, I, I only killed Jesse really because I was scared. He was going to kill me too. Um, and the the reaction I had expected was applause because I mean, Jesse was not a good man. Jesse James was not no, a hero. No, really not. He was not. I mean, it's it's so that's that's the that's the dichotomy as well that Robert Ford gets framed as the coward and Jesse as the hero. But we see Jesse committing cowardly murders throughout the film. Like he yeah. very nearly shoots the train the um, the railroad employee. Yeah, beats yeah, him possibly to death. He clocks him with the with the um, handle of his pistol, and he falls to the floor and bleeds all over it. So who knows if he's dead or his permanent? I mean, he caves his skull in, at the very least. Uh, ne- nearly kills that kid, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, later on, I mean, as you said, that shoots, he's, he's, shoots Ed he's a monster. In the back. He's um, a monster. There's no romance. This is not a romantic no. question. That that this is not Billy the Kid. This doesn't define this character as this romantic myth. You know, as as they would be portrayed in classic yeah. westerns, this is a realistic depiction of a killer. Yeah, he just gets built into this. 
and this legend because people like to believe in myths and legends. Yeah. And we let them become into something. I mean, we see that today as well, even with people like Mother Teresa, who gets lionized mm. as something like the the pinnacle of sainthood, even though like Mother Teresa, so it's pretty far from that if you actually look into her. Um, yeah. I think it's a wonderful deconstruction of the cult of personality. Yes. Set at a time that was so mysterious and defined anyway. It it sets this wonderful visual kind of um, identity for then discussing these existential notions of how people become obsessed with others and then how their memory or their interpretation afterwards becomes distorted by time. Yeah. I mean, the ending is one of my favorite endings to any film. Just the way the... Way the um... The narrator delivered the delivers it like there would be no eulogies for Bob. Yeah. No one would pay his pay to see his body in sundry stores. There would and so forth. Um, it's just and then then it's coupled with the, the score, of the song for Bob at the end as well, which just makes it really really moving and thought provoking. Uh, well, upon watching it again, I certainly think it's one of the best westerns I've ever seen. It's right up there with Unforgiven and, and yeah. my favorites like High Plains Drifter, but it does something which not a lot of westerns do. And that's say more. Most westerns are about greening the desert. They're about yeah. a man, a loner, often, who comes into civilization, um, saves people who can't deal with the monsters out there, and then they green the desert, and he walks off in the last shot, still shot, into the distance, and the camera hangs there for a couple of minutes. This isn't that. This does something a little bit different, and that really makes it prevalent in modern cinema today rather than something which is archaic that yeah. that doesn't relate to modern perceptions of reality and perceptions of people. Yeah. And I think I mean the reason why I chose this is sort of correlating to the release of the video game Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, and similarities abound. <laughs> yeah, because Red Dead Redemption 2 I feel like leans very 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 heavily on the assassination of Robert Ford of Jesse James, sorry, by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, both in its themes and its sort of vi- visual presentation, like there's a train robbery scene in uh, in Red Dead Redemption Two that's pretty much shot for shot, nearly a reconstruction of the train robbery scene, the mm. early train robbery scene in uh, the assassination of Jesse James. Uh, like the same sort of ethereal, dreamlike lighting. Um, mm. There are dream sequences in Red Dead Redemption Two that are very similar to sort of the the flashback dreams dream sort of sequences in in Jesse James and the whole sort of theme typical western theme though of this our time has come the like civilization the end of the west yeah yeah the the west has ended yeah and law and order is taking over now um which is the west is being tamed yeah because don't you think the original red dead is very much a spaghetti western whereas this is yeah it is it is. Even pace-wise, Red Dead 2 is very much this. Yeah, film. it's more of a Leone tribute, and this is more sort yeah. of a tribute to Dominic and, and and the assassination of Jesse James, I feel. Um, I find that really interesting, how those the influences of, of Western cinema are so different on both games. That you're yeah. in the same universe, but just the feel. You felt like a cowboy in Red Dead. You feel like you're coming to an end as a cowboy. And even though it's a prequel... It feels yeah. that. It feels way, 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 way slower in pace and more thoughtful about what it's doing and executing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a more um, somber piece, certainly, than than the original Red Dead Redemption, I feel like. Somber and cerebral, I think. Yeah, cerebral. Dial- that, that's terms. the precise word I was looking for. Yeah, more cerebral. 
Definitely. I would agree with that. Well, I think if you are a Western fan and you want a film that builds its pace and you understand that, <coughs> and you also enjoy revisionist Westerns and the filling in of the blanks of these legendary characters, but not so they're just typical, you know, stereotyped, over-the-top archetype Western characters. There's something different and they offer a bit more. This is definitely a film for you. Yeah. Give it a, give it a chance. Know that you're going into a slow film and just let it slowly but surely enthrall you as you watch. That's that's the way I'd say to enjoy it. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's, I mean, it's two and, two and a half hours, two, two hours and 40 two minutes Two hours, 45, yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, for me, it, it flies by. Um, I don't really notice it. Yeah. I don't, to me, the per, the pace of film is perfect. Um, but I have patience for that sort of film. I, um, like, yeah, like you, Blade Runner is one of my favorite films. Uh, so, I mean, maybe I even, I even have patience to watch um, Space Odyssey. Uh, 2001 yeah. or like Seven Samurai, for instance. Even, yeah. even guys like the zooms in this film, they're what I call achingly slow zooms now zoom is used for emphasis often but with this it's it's not just emphasis it's used for uh, just su- such slow impact like the zooms in this are so incredibly slow to kind of emphasize the tension within in any given frame yeah. or, or scene um beautifully composed and as we've said roger deakin one of the best cinematographers in modern cinema history oh and he should be and he should be applauded for the work he's done recently, uh, this and, and 2049, amongst others. Yeah. And uh, I think also Villeneuve's Arrival, he did the cinematography for that, and that's another beautiful film if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Right, well, I think we've, we've covered enough of uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the, Robert, by the coward uh, Robert Ford. Now, I didn't tell you what I've selected for this week until now. I was going to do yeah. a chat like I normally do. But next week, I'd like to do something a little bit different. Oh, we've been doing things, different things every time. But this one, I like a lot. I think you do. We're going to be looking at and discussing uh, 1981 John Borman Excalibur. Oh, man, I haven't seen that in like <laughs> nice. 15 years, maybe more. Nice. That's excellent. Yeah. It's one of my old school favorites. It's another very dreamlike, ethereal film which is somewhat existential yeah and it's my favorite telling of the king arthur legend cool so yeah looking forward to it right if you've liked what we've been talking about you've enjoyed the film talk to us in the comments what did you think of jesse james did you like the performances the cinematography did you like the plot did you enjoy the way this dreamlike state was presented and its relation to to modern celebrity and the obsession with celebrity uh yeah come and talk to us about film guys and yeah come and sure. see us next week and um, over to silver to to let you go no nah, just uh it's uh, if you haven't seen it it's highly recommended that you do um it's a different experience to most other films out there and uh yeah that's about it uh thanks for watching guys and i hope you'll join us for our discussion of excalibur Take it easy, folks.